again a good morning to all of you it's a glorious day today and trust that the lord will grant to us wonderful things in his word and if he does it will be him that does it by the spirit of god himself we have uh, again a great privilege and blessing to be a child of God, first of all, and second, to be in a church that worships God truly in spirit and truth. Thankful, so thankful to be here this morning and thankful to be a part of this church. God bless every one of you and thank you again on behalf of myself and my wife for the love that you show to us all of the time. Thank you, thank you, and thank God for it. All right, we're going to turn, begin with this morning to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be reading two uh, really parallel passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, and again in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. So in Matthew 8, beginning at verse 18, he says, Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury they're dead. And if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 9. Verse 57, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I thought about this uh, quite a bit, and... Uh, 
Actually, the, the, the center of our thoughts this morning is going to be on the, the statement that Jesus made, let the dead bury their dead. There's only two states in which a man finds himself in this world. One is alive, the other is dead. You're either alive or you're dead. Now in reality, we walk about and we talk and we do our everyday things and we see everybody around us doing the same thing for the most part, the, for the vast majority. There are some that are lying in coffins. They're dead, literally dead. Physically, they are dead. But for the most part, the vast majority of the world is walking around as though they're alive. And as far as the physical man is concerned, surely they are alive. They are living, breathing beings. But nevertheless, from a spiritual standpoint, and that's the only one that really counts. Really? Yes, that's the only one that really counts. It's the spiritual man. It is your soul that first and foremost that's either going to be in heaven or it's going to be in hell. Again, there's only two states of this afterlife, as we would say it, in which a man can find himself, and one is in heaven and the other is in hell. Uh, contrary to what some religions teach, there is no in-betweens. It's either one or the other. Spiritually speaking, though, again, a person is either alive or he's dead. And until Christ comes, until the Holy Ghost is sent and regenerates and gives life unto a person, he finds himself dead. As the Apostle Paul puts it, dead in trespasses and in sins. A man that is without forgiveness is a dead man because he is a sinner and the soul that sinneth what's going to be its state? Death, right? The soul that sinneth shall surely die. That is a direct statement from God and you can believe God, he is not going to lie, is he? But it's amazing how many people there are, vast majority of people today, do they believe that? Evidently not, because they do not repent, they do not turn from their sin, they do not turn to God, they continue in their unlawful ways and they continue to be at enmity with God. But those of us that are alive, we worship God because that is life, isn't it? It's to worship God, to serve God. 
What was the cause of death again? It was sin. And what is sin? Well, in the word of God, it is the transgression of the law. And all those that transgress the law, they are sinners and they are dead. Now, my thoughts turn to this thing of let the dead bury the dead. There is instruction here for the child of God, and the instruction is rather than the burying the dead, Jesus says, follow me. Now, to state it quite uh, uh, simply, then we see that to follow Jesus is life. But anything other than following Jesus is death. I think this is one of the things that most people can't quite comprehend again. They, they, their idea of life is based upon their fleshly, humanistic ideas. They have no concept of the life that is in Christ. They have no concept of the freedom that's in Christ. The only way that you can be free, the only way that you can have life, the only way that you can be at peace, the only way that you can have real joy is to be in Christ and to follow him as the example as he followed the obedience of to God. So let the dead bury the dead, but come thou and follow me. Now, again, anything that does not glorify God, what is it? It's sin, isn't it? If it glorifies God, then it is righteousness. If it does not glorify God, then it is sin. It's really just that simple. Sometimes we try to make complicated all of these things, but really it's just that simple. To follow Christ is life and liberty. Not to follow him is death and finally destruction. But go ye and follow me. Now, even the Apostle Paul gives us those instructions in his life, doesn't he? Follow me, he said, even as I follow Christ. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's what salvation is all about. Now the sinner, I'm talking about before he's regenerated, before God has shown mercy to him, before God has awakened him, that sinner, he loves sin. He loves 
His idea, his whole thought is on the concept of burying the, the dead, the dead burying the dead, doing those things that are ill-pleasing really to God instead of doing those things which are a sweet savor to him. Let the dead, though, bury the dead. Come thou and follow me. Now, in our reading, of course, we see that this man first says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. In our uh, lesson this morning, uh, Sunday school or, or our Bible class, as we, we, whichever we would call it, we talked about resolutions and making resolutions. And truly, the, the, the child of God makes this resolution. And he is going to follow Christ whithersoever he goes. It's not a hard decision for him to make. Uh, the way may be hard. And as we talked about it, uh, we need the full grace of God it, through his mercy in order to be able to, to say that and actually do it. Now, we aren't told whether this man that says that, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest, we aren't told whether he actually did that or not. Nevertheless, it is necessary that we follow through on a statement like that. If we make that resolution, then we must also follow through with it. Uh, so Jesus comes down then, and he comes to this man that uh, is going to uh, follow him, but he needs to go back and bury his dad. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting to bury your, 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 your loved ones? Is there anything wrong with wanting to bury especially your, your parents? Well, no, there really isn't. But Christ is making a point here. Again, if you love anyone, father, mother, son, daughter, more than you love Christ, more than you love God, then what does Jesus say concerning that? You're not worthy of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ. God is all in all. Now the apostle Paul tells us in the Corinthian letter, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to what end? To the glory of God. Now, sometimes I find myself wondering, Lord, just how is what I'm doing to the glory of your name? 
But there are mundane things, things of everyday life that we do and things that we must do. For instance, it is also the command of God that we work, right? In fact, the, the uh, admonition of God is if a man sh should not work, neither should he eat because he decreed it again back in the day of creation that by the sweat of the brow, the man is to earn his daily bread. Anyone that doesn't do this is sinning against God. So there are many of these things that we do on an everyday basis. They are things that, though they may not shine out in the eyes of man or in even in the eyes of ourselves, that they are glorifying to God, yet everything that we do in obedience to God is to his glory. It doesn't matter what the, what the command is or what the, the admonition is, if it is God telling us to do, or for that matter, not to do, it is all to the glory of God. If he says it, it's got to be good, can right? And I don't think I'm wrong there. If God says something, I don't care what it is that God says or how how little a thing or insignificant a thing may be, if God says it, it's got to be good. And we love it. It gives us a purpose for living. Everything that God says, it gives us a purpose for living. And there are many things, there are many things that the professed Christian religion today has simply forgotten because they have, have uh, judged it to be insignificant and they've really judged it to be beneath God. Many of them we've argued over over the years to the extent that we really have gotten tired and so we've just dropped the whole thing and we go on about our business. When we ought to be teaching every word of the Bible, uh, when Christ was tempted of, a, of Satan, what was one of the things that, that he used to counteract the temptations of Satan? It had to do with his word, didn't it? We should live by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
That's life, isn't it? To the, the child of God, that's life. No matter how insignificant it may seem, even to us, it still is life to obey God. It's like uh, the people of Israel. God spoke through Jeremiah and he told the people of Israel, I said not into the day that I led you up out of Egypt saying, sacrifice and offering, but this one thing I said, obey my voice. So we search the scriptures and in those scriptures we find what God has us to do and what he has us not to do. And both of them, again, are very significant. We can't do one and ignore the other. We have to be true to the whole word of, of God. And the Apostle Paul himself understood this when he said to the church at Ephesus that I've clear from the blood of all men. Now, Paul, how can you say that? He can say that because he said also, for I've not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. Now, we as, as preachers, first and foremost, it is our responsibility then to declare the whole word of God the whole counsel of God. Now, uh, Brother Russell, this is hard to do, isn't it? <laughs> we don't really have time to go through every word that's in the Bible, but we try by the grace and mercy of God again to follow the leading of the Spirit of God to preach those things that are needed by the congregation. And we trust in the, the, the guidance of our God and his spirit that we can discern what's needed in the congregation. Now, again, sometimes we wonder as preachers, we wonder. Uh, I think Brother Russell was wondering about Job when he started it out. But it's, it's what's needed. I've needed it. I've needed it, and it's been a blessing to me. So God directs us in this uh, preaching of his word. And I trust he has directed us today. Because I truly want us to, to, to think about this. I don't think I've ever heard a message preached on this particular passage of Scripture. If I have, I, I, it, it has, I've forgotten it. But God has impressed it upon me that here is two realities. We're either dead in sin, again, or we're alive 
in Christ. And the reality of it again is that those that are alive in Christ follow him. And those that are dead, they follow the dictates of their worldly hearts. And the heart is deceitful above all things. And who can know it? A man that says, I know my own heart, my Bible says he's a fool. Do you trust your heart? No. You trust Christ. And you trust his spirit. And that's what guides us. As Isaiah says, or as God says then I, through Isaiah, he says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, go ye in it. That's the voice of the, the Holy Spirit directing our paths. So let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead enjoy those things of the world. Let them take care of worldly things. Who are we? We are pilgrims and strangers, right, in this world. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, and again, you know these things. We just sometimes need to be reminded of them occasionally. We're not of this world, are we? We're in the world, and the apostle acknowledges this. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus acknowledged it. Jesus said, for if you were of the world, then the world would love its own. But you're not of the world. But if we go over into Hebrews, we see the great example that God gives us in Abraham, in Isaac, in Jacob, and in Sarah. In that 11th chapter, first of all, he says in verse 9, By faith he, Abraham, meaning Abraham, sojourned. What does the term sojourn mean? Well, it means simply that there's no settled place for him to abide. In other words, he's moving about. He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why did he do this? For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now this is what every child of God is looking for. He's looking for that city that God has built. And we're reminded by the psalmist, except God build the house, what? It's all vain, isn't it? Except God build the house, 
they labor in vain that build it. And not only that, but except God keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. And there again, I'm reminded of our responsibility as the preachers of the gospel. We may be awakened as the watchers, and we may preach, but if God doesn't give the ears to hear and the hearts to understand and the hearts to love his word, then we may be awake, but it's all in vain. In other words, from beginning to end, salvation is, as Jonah said, of the Lord. But here we go back to our text. For we look, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then if we drop on down to verse 13, says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them <clears throat> afar off. And were persuaded <clears throat> of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. There is an old song that goes something like this, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up beyond the blue, somewhere beyond the blue certainly expresses a good thought there. And this is, though, the word of God. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. What is our attitude in this world today? Are you and I seeking a country or are we at home in the one that we have? Now, let me just say something here. I'm not necessarily telling you that you do not have a responsibility as a citizen of this nation. At least uh, Christ taught us that we do have a responsibility at least to pay taxes. <laughs> Sorry. But in the 17th chapter of Matthew, and we'll not turn over there, but in the 17th chapter of Matthew, uh, the, the, the tax gatherers asked Peter, says, does your master not pay taxes or tribute? Yes. Peter said, and then he goes to Jesus, and Jesus asked him about, you know, well, are not the, the, the children of the kingdom free? Yes, they're free. But he said, nevertheless, lest we offend them, he says, go and cast your hook into the water, and the first fish that comes up they'll find a piece of money in his mouth. 
take that and go give it to the taxers. That's our responsibility. We are responsible to the government that we live under. After all, as the apostle says in Romans chapter 13, right? The powers that be are ordained of God. And you do well that you live as peaceably as you can under that government, whichever one it is that God has you under. Now, again, we are first responsible to God and not to the nation, right? We are responsible first and foremost in everything unto God. But, nevertheless, he places us under certain governments and we ought to obey as much as possible those governments. Now, again, Verse 15, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country. Folks, again, I, I'm thankful. I am very thankful that God birthed me in this nation, in this country, but folks, there's a better one than the United States of America. Much better. Because as much as we would like for it to be different, this is a sinful nation as a whole. And the fact that there are so few of us gathered here today is a clear indication of what's wrong with this nation. And unless, as Brother Steve so often prays, unless God turns this thing back, it is not going to be nothing but destruction awaiting it. And whether or not God turns it back, one day, it's not going to be turned back. He's not going to turn it back because one day God is going to judge the world. And he's going to judge it and those that have done as he commanded and followed him, they're going to find him saying, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And those that have buried the dead, their business has been to bury the dead. They're going to hear him say, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. I never knew you. So this is what we are are trying to see then here in the words of our Lord. Now, let me just uh, back up again and go into this a little further in uh, what it means to follow Christ.
Christ. What a person worships or who a person worships is the essence of life to that person. In other words, once again, to live is Christ. Isn't that what the apostle said in Philippians there, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 21. For me to live is Christ. Every child of God can say that. For me to live is Christ. What's the second part of it? And to die is gain. Now, those that bury the dead, they don't see it that way. For them, it's just the opposite. To them, living for Christ is death. There's no joy in it. They find no pleasure in it whatsoever. They don't want to be here sitting in these benches and listening to a preacher trying to preach the word of God. But not so those that follow Christ. For we're not ashamed of the gospel, are we? Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation unto all that believe. It is pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Why would we not want to hear the gospel preached? Why would we not want to hear the word of God preached? Why would we not want to be everywhere that we had the opportunity and the chance to be to hear the word of God proclaimed. It is life. If whatever though a, a, a person or whoever a person worships is the essence of life. Uh, turn with me over to the 20th Psalm we we'll just give you a few scriptures here. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 20. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee, send thee help from the sanctuary, and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings, and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart, and fulfill all thy counsel. 
we will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. This is life to us, isn't it? Isn't it speaking to you about life here? But it's all about the worship of God. It's not the worship of idols. It's not the worship of men's hands, but it's the worship of God. That's the essence of, of life to us. There are many things, again, that, are, uh, that we might classify as mundane. They're everyday things that, that we have to go through and we have to do. But in essence, they're really worshiping God. If it's a woman that's at their house and doing the, 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 the housekeeping, it's worshiping God. If it's the man going off to work to, to earn the daily bread, it's worshiping of God. If whatever it is that God commands us to do, husbands love your wives, wives be subject to your husbands, and so on and so forth. It's all of God. And God has a purpose in it. And it is to fulfill the purpose which he purposed in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Psalm chapter 115. Begin at verse 4, and we'll go down through verse 8, and then drop down to 15. It says, their idols are silver and gold. And what's the next phrase? <clears throat> the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are what? They're like unto them. In other words, they're just dead, right? They're dead. As is everyone that trusteth in them. And then verse 15, ye are blessed of the Lord, which make heaven, made heaven and earth. Shall not he that made the eye see? Shall not he that made the ear hear? You see, our God is alive. In fact, he is life. Thank God that it is so. Now, 
many other scriptures again we could uh, go and, and uh, read, but they all read the same thing, don't they? In other words, in re reading through the Psalms, have you not every time you read the Psalms, do you not have some uh, association with it? Does it not speak to you because you find it that's your experience? Have, have, you, have you read the, the uh, uh, Psalms that prophesy of the, of the Savior and the prophesy of his death, burial, and resurrection? Is written, they're written by David, but they are prophetic psalms talking about the salvation of our Lord in his sufferings and in his resurrection from the dead. Can you identify to some degree at least with those psalms? Would you know God? Would you know Christ? The apostle said again in the third chapter of Philippians that I may know him. But it's through his sufferings and our identifying with those sufferings that I may know him and the power of his resurrections and the sufferings of his death. These are the ways Paul says that we're going to know him. And after all, that's, that's eternal life. John 17, 3, right? This is life eternal. That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The essence of life, then, is to the worship of God, and the worship of God begins with obedience. To his word. Now, if the essence of life is to worship God, the true God, so the essence of death is that which man makes with his own hands. We just read that, didn't we, in this psalm. Read it again. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Everything that is of man <clears throat> is not of God. God cannot be worshipped with what? Men's hands. When Jesus spoke with that Samaritan woman by the well, 
She said, we worship in this mountain. You all worship in Jerusalem. But what did Christ say? The time will come and now is when the Father seeketh them to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now again, I'm thankful <clears throat> for this building, thankful for a place to come here and worship the Lord. But this building is not going to help you to worship. It's the Spirit of God that's going to help us to worship. It's going to, in fact, make us to worship. Now, we've already read that one scripture. What's the point in, re in reading others? But we could go. We're running out of time here, but... Uh, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 11, in case you want to write some of these down, but uh, we've already quoted the 127th Psalm in verse 1. There, Malachi, verse 1, and chapter 1, and verse 4, and Acts 17, 25. Uh, I think we all probably are familiar with Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes to Mars Hill, right? And what are they doing there? Oh, they've got all kinds of statutes to every god. And then what they do? They made one to the unknown god. <laughs> how do you make one to the unknown god? I, I don't know how they did that, but <laughs> maybe it was just a plain old piece of stone out there. I don't know. But anyway... Uh, you cannot worship God with your hands in the sense that it's man's work. Now, uh, again, the command of God is whatsoever your hand finds to do, how are we to do it? With all of our might, right. That's tantamount to the same thing as Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with what? All of thy heart, all of thy mind, all of thy might. But when it says that you can't, God can't be worshipped with men's hands, it means simply the things that man does of himself. If it's not God moving and God sanctifying, it's of no value it's all vain so let the dead bury the dead cut those things out of your life that have no connection with God that are maybe a diametrically opposed to God. Sin, any kind of sin, any amount or degree of sin is abhorrent to God. 
He is holy, blameless. Just, righteous, seek those things which are above. Colossians chapter 3, right? Not the things that are on the earth. I know there are things, again, that we have to do in this world. But we need to be careful and examine those things that we do and the things that we don't do. And we ought to always be asking, according to the word of God, is this pleasing to God? And I believe that every child of God will have that attitude. Now, does it mean that we will never sin? No, unfortunately, sin is in this body. This body is corrupted. This body has not been changed. We have been given commandment to crucify the flesh, haven't we? And it's necessary for the child of God. If ye by the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, then what? Ye shall live. It is our desire to crucify the flesh. This is what the gospel does for us, to us, in us. It causes us to crucify the flesh. And it gives unto us that spirit by which we can worship God and find <coughs> life. And guess what? It won't just be life but it will be abundant life. Do you find that in your heart this morning? I hope so. I believe for most of us it is so. I hope that is so for everyone. But just remember, come and follow me and let the dead Bury the dead. Brother Russell.